You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. up a short series we've been doing called Sacramental Living. Over the past couple weeks, uh, Jared has introduced us to this idea of the sacraments and how the sacraments are a visible expression of an invisible grace, or another way of saying it is an outward physical symbol of an inward spiritual reality. So over the last two weeks, we've covered these two official instituted sacraments of the church in believer's baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper or one of the other many words that it could be called. My new personal favorite is the love feast. Today we will finish off this series by taking the principles that we learn from the big S sacraments, these official institutions of the church and applying them to your everyday life and how you can live sacramentally. How you can take all of your life and see how this outward physical world can remind you of inward spiritual realities. And so this morning, one of the pathways we'll take to get there is if you have your Bible with you, open to Genesis chapter 28. And, uh, or if you're on the uh, Bible app, you can read the scriptures there. Also, I uh, always like to point this out occasionally that on this connect card is instructions how to find our notes uh, for the sermon. So if you ever are interested in looking that up, uh, feel free to follow there. So Genesis 28, and would you stand with me? As we acknowledge that this is God's living word, more important than any other book that we could read, and so we stand in honor of him. So Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. So Father, thank you for your word as always. Forgive us when we presumptuously live our lives without recognizing your presence. You created the world and everything that's in it, and yet we want to believe that everything was created for us. Everything exists for us, for my satisfaction, for my pleasure. All the people around me are here to serve me, and that's simply not true. We're guilty of not seeing you at work in our world, and we're guilty of ignoring you at work in our world because we'd rather look at ourselves in a mirror, then acknowledge your presence among us. So forgive us. And as I ask for your forgiveness, I'm reminded of two realities. And one is that you, 
Even though we want to ignore you and we turn a shoulder to you, you never stop pursuing us. You pursued us in Jesus. You're pursuing us now by your spirit. And the second reality I think of is the fact that you say in your scriptures that as far as the east is from the west, so far you've removed our sin from us. And so for the sin of not acknowledging your presence, of thinking that all of this is about me, thank you that you have removed my sin. I'm even thinking right now, remember a couple of weeks ago as Jared proclaimed about in baptism how um, you've removed the penalty of our sin. And one day we can look forward to the, the presence of sin being gone. So, Father, by the power of your Spirit, we ask for your power over sin. Spirit, would you manifest your presence among us today? It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So imagine with me a scenario where you're going out to a restaurant. You're going to meet four to five friends for a meal. I had somebody after the first service say, you assume I have four to five friends. Let's pretend you have four to five friends and you're going out to a meal. You walk into the restaurant and as you're shown to your table by the hostess, you just feel incredibly lonely. It's not because you're the first one there and now you're at this big table by yourself and you have to awkwardly sit there just waiting for your friends to arrive. I also remembered in the first service, uh, literally on Friday, every man in our missional community, except for one, overslept and forgot that we were going to meet at Iron Horse for breakfast. And so that one guy sat there by himself. <laughs> So that's not what's happened. You're not alone because you're literally alone. Like you're actually the last one to get to the table. Why would you feel so lonely about that? Well, as you walk up, you don't get like the subtle acknowledgments of your presence. I mean, you know that. As a friend walks up or as you, you walk up to some friends, you get like eye contact, you get a head nod, you get a wave, you get something. As you're walking up to this table full of friends, nobody sees you. Nobody acknowledges your presence. It's not because they're like in their menu studying the way too many options. That would, I guess, make some sense. Maybe they shouldn't see you. It's not because they were all in uh, conversation and laughter and joy. They just didn't see you walk up because they were uh, over, overcome with like the presence of their relationships. That's not why you feel lonely. The reason you feel lonely is you have a group of four to five friends who are all looking at their phone and not at anything else. They're ignoring the presence of everyone around them. Now, let me be clear, like the smartphone is not evil. I'm not saying throw your smartphone away like I live and die by my smartphone. Smartphone is not the problem. It has amplified the problem for many of us. But at the root of it, the smartphone is not the problem. Our problem is we're self-absorbed sinners. Whether you acknowledge God or a need for a savior, you think all this is bogus and you got dragged here by your family or friend, I think we can collectively all agree that we live in a culture of self-absorption. It's all about me. And that that is extremely toxic. When you see someone else completely absorbed by themselves, with their own success, their own approval, you probably instantly, subtly judge it as unappealing. But when you yourself are guilty of this same thing, and we all are in different ways, whether that be via a phone or something else, we're all self-absorbed sinners. Can you reflect back on that moment and see just how unsatisfying it all is? 
There is no lasting satisfaction in self-absorption. So this morning, I submit to you that we have a self-absorption problem and that the only solution to self-absorption is God-absorption. So hear what the author David Benner says about self-absorption. He says, self-absorption is the great enemy of attunement to God. This is why anything that breaks self-absorption can facilitate attentiveness to God. This is why spiritual disciplines are so countercultural because culture is about self-absorption and disciplines are about God-absorption. So uh, spiritual disciplines or Christian practices help move us from self-absorption to God-absorption. So now hear what he says about everyday stuff of life. He says, music walks in the wood. Meditation on great works of art can all play important roles in this. And this is not because God is in these things and such experiences in some special way. Rather, it is because such experiences just help move us away from self-absorption. This is always the first step to God-absorption, taking it off of myself. God constantly reaches out, seeking our attention, seeking to be known. But we walk through his world oblivious, failing to notice him. We're so wrapped up in ourselves, our plans, our worries, our activities, that we fail to see him. It's so maybe if you're like me, I've used this word absorption quite a bit, and sometimes words can get weird, so let me change, just pivot just a little bit. So absorption is like the state of being engrossed by something, soaking it all in. So when, when I say that we're self-absorbed, what I'm saying is we're trying to soak in anything that makes me feel okay. So my office is right here, pretty cool office, uh, we've got big, beautiful windows, if you've been on the outside of our building, you've probably noticed you can't see into my office. What you see is a mirror, right? So all day long, I could sit in my office and see, for one, people running that stop sign like crazy. Be very careful with that stop sign. But for two, I see so many people, and I'm guilty of it too. I'm not judging people. Like I'm, I, Okay, I'm judging a little bit, but... All day long, people walk up and they're like, my pants look good. Suck it in. I'm doing pretty good. Like we all do that. We cannot walk by a mirror and not be absorbed by ourselves. But we were created for so much more than that. And that's why you roll your eyes at celebrities who are totally self-absorbed. But we are guilty of it as well. And we can never satisfy our own self. That's why we were created to be God absorbed. We preach about this often. And I say it actually is like maybe the first thing on the tip of Jared's tongue all the time. And my seven or eight months of being here, it's like, like every other meeting, he's talking about abiding in Jesus. And this is what it looks like to abide in him, to remain in him, to remain close to him, to soak up his presence, to, to be absorbed in Jesus instead of myself. Now, this is clear and easy in the obvious, explicit ways of worship and sacraments that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. These physical symbols of this inward spiritual reality, they help us take our gaze off ourselves for a minute and place it on God where it belongs. But what about when you walk out those doors and go back into the real world? The other 110 or so hours a week that you're awake, what are you absorbed by? So even when uh, you are out in the real world, your dull, boring lives, I'm sorry, mine's dull and boring, remain in him. 
So the call today is to live sacramentally. You see, you can use these boring, everyday moments of your life to remind you of the presence of God because trust me, Satan is using your everyday annoyances of your life to distract you into self-absorption again. I think that's important enough to say a second time. You can use your boring, everyday moments of your life to remind you of the presence of God because trust me, Satan is using these everyday annoyances of your life to distract you into self-absorption again. So you can turn frustrating moments of your life into fruitful moments of God's presence. I've heard Jared use this simple prayer before. God, I know that you're here. Help me to be here with you. I mean, that's true. God is with you. God is here. God is with you in the boring, mundane aspects of your life. So this morning, we'll take a look at how we can live sacramentally. Not just observe a sacrament one day a week or something, but live sacramentally. How we can be reminded of inward spiritual realities and our everyday stuff of life. So the the author and musician Andrew Peterson says, there are no unsacred moments. There are only sacred moments and moments that we have forgotten are sacred. And if this is true, then it's our duty to reclaim the sacredness of our lives, of life itself. So again, Genesis 28. I'm going to recap. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. He's this patriarch of the Israelite family. Israelite nation. And he, Abraham received this promise of how many people, how many, um, his children will be like the sands of the, of the earth, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm getting lost. Uh, anyway, he's pr- promising him a great blessing so that they can be a blessing to all of life. Jacob is his grandson. And just before our passage here, he's got a twin brother named Esau who's older than him, and he has stolen his father's blessing from Esau. And Jacob's mother says, hey, Esau wants to kill you. You should probably run away and go live with my brother. And so this passage begins with Jacob is leaving Beersheba, where his family is, and going to Haran, where his, brother, where his uncle Laban lives. And on his way there, he stops to get some sleep, and he grabs a rock as a pillow. I can't do it. Uh, our elders just went on a retreat this weekend, and I was the diva who had to bring his own pillow because I don't trust anybody else's pillows. So on this rock pillow, he has a dream where he sees this wild vision of a stairway resting on earth, going up into heaven. He sees angels going up and down. And at the top of the stairway, he sees the Lord himself. And, and God blesses him with this amazing statement and like recommits to Jacob what he's already committed to, to Abraham. And it's beautiful. And then Jacob says this in verse 16. It says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. So as we take a look at how you can live sacramentally, I want you to ponder the question, where is this place for you? Where's this place where the Lord is present, God is there with you, but you are unaware of it? It's easy to think of God in these mountaintop experiences, or if you grew up in the church in these like church camp moments, like those are easy to point to, I am, and God's presence was there. And I'm not pushing those down. We actually, I feel like we felt that on our elder retreat this weekend. Praise God for those moments. But those are not the only moments that God is present. 
Some of us only want to live for this like movie life. Um, Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock is famous for th- this phrase of movies are simply life with the dull bits cut out. And so we want the exciting parts of life, right? The exciting parts uh, of our spiritual life is what we want. That's not what we have. We have dull lives. This is why Rod Dreher in, uh, wrote in the magazine, The American Conservative. He says, everydayness is my problem. It's easy to think about what you would do in wartime or if a hurricane blows through or if you spend a month in Paris or if your guy wins the election or if you won the lottery or bought that thing you really wanted. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair. Everydayness is where we forget about the presence of God. Why would God care about being in my presence when I'm doing the dishes or mowing the lawn? Why? Let me flip the, uh, the greatest commandment on you. You guys know the greatest commandment likely, right? Jesus is asked, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? There's hundreds of commandments. What's the greatest one? He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Can I flip that on you and point out that God loves all of your heart? He loves all of your mind. He loves all of your soul. He loves all of your strength. And this is demonstrated by how far he went with Jesus coming to earth, giving up everything he had with the Father to come to earth and live on this dull planet and go to the cross for you and me. He loves all of you, including the dull, mundane parts of your life. So do you feel lonely in this world? Do you feel like nobody is pursuing you? God is. God is with you. He is pursuing you, even in the mundane parts of your lives. And you might say, it often doesn't feel like God's pursuing me. I ask for his presence and I don't feel anything. Jacob didn't know he was in the presence of God either. And he said, surely God's in this place. And I was not aware of it until he was. So with the time that I have left, I'm going to run through some practical areas of your life where you can live sacramentally. These everyday moments of your dull, boring lives where you can realize that you are actually in the presence of an omnipresent God because it's in his presence that we we will be most fulfilled, most satisfied, most at rest. So first up, dishes. I have a uh, love-hate relationship with doing the dishes. Uh, And here lately I've had a rash of problems where I'll load the dishwasher and forget to turn it on and just frustrate the heck out of Sarah. Um, I I despise like drinking in a glass and like seeing something like some dirt that didn't get all the way out. Grosses me out. But I don't particularly love doing dishes because when I do, I'm OCD type A enough that I like, I gotta go, like I have to go all the way in. I can't just like haphazardly do dishes except for forgetting to hit start. We have this hilarious memory in our family. So um, when we lived in Kansas City, a couple of our nieces came and stayed a couple weeks with us. Uh, and one, our oldest niece was tasked one night with doing the dishes. And she does the dishes. She says, I'm done. I look from the couch to the kitchen and I can still see dishes sticking out of the sink. And I'm like, what? How have you even done dishes? There's still dishes right there. And uh, Sarah quickly took... Notice the opportunity to pull out her phone and start videoing me very playfully scorn my niece 
for how terrible of a job she did at loading the dishwasher. And I'm you know, yelling at her in a playful manner about how to do it properly and how to put the bowls like this and like put the forks all in the, and I was telling her the exact proper way to put everything in order. Now, why do I care so much about dishes? I'm bizarre. I'm OCD. But here's the connection to, to living sacramentally. In clearing out the sink and doing dishes and, and scrubbing a dish and putting it back where it goes, I'm a part of bringing order to chaos. And that is an act made in the image of God. God created the world and everything is in it. And by his word, he brought order to chaos. Who here can identify with the fact that God has taken your own life and brought, in, brought order to your chaos? That without him, you would be the definition of chaos. So the next time that you're washing dishes, can you pause for a moment and thank God for this physical reminder of an internal spiritual truth that he is the bringer of order to chaos. You can't even straighten your life up. He is the bringer of order to chaos. Or in that moment, can you thank him for doing that in your life? Or if your life right now feels chaotic, can you say, God, I need you to be the bringer of order to my chaos? Because in that moment, I pray that you can say, surely God is in this place. And me just doing dishes. I was unaware of it before. So the second moment that you could live sacramentally is the desk. Where you can live with this awareness of God's presence in your life. Now I realize we don't all work at desks. We have different workspaces. But what I'm saying is your workplace, your workspace. Remember that work is not a bad thing. Work is not a result of sin. It got harder because of the sin, but Adam was put in the garden to cultivate the ground, to work it before they ever sinned. And there are countless ways that I can point to of of how work can be a part of you living sacramentally or how it can facilitate more self-absorption, but I don't have time for all of the ways. So let me point out one that came to mind this week. When you finish a project, or a series of tasks, or you just finish your work day. And rather than going full steam ahead into the very next thing, can you pause for a moment and reflect on God's goodness to you? Don't be in such a hurry to move on. Because of the ways that he has gifted you, you are able to complete that work, whatever it is. Think of the people that are potentially impacted by the work that God has provided for you to be able to do. First and foremost, even starting to provide for your own family financially. And you might say, yeah, yeah, pastor. My job's not that important. I'm not impacting that many people. I'm easily replaceable. I can do my job in my sleep. We're not here to discuss the value of different occupations. That's not the point. And in fact, if you have a job where you could literally do it in your sleep, praise God. Because what we're talking about is experiencing the presence of God in your work. And if you can do it in your sleep, you can experience God's presence while you do that. You can be praying to him. You can be looking around at the different people that he has created, the different things that he has created. And you can experience the presence of God while you work. The the monk, Brother Lawrence, in his monastery, did the most menial tasks that he could and loved it. Because that allowed him to focus more on the presence of God. So the next time that you're at work, tomorrow maybe, maybe later today, Can you ask God to show you how he is present with you? 
Can you thank God for the ways he's gifted you to be able to do the work that you do, whatever it is? And I pray that you would eventually be able to say, surely God is in this place where I work and I have not been aware of it. Our third way to live sacramentally is through the diaper. Yes, even poopy diapers that my dog likes to get out of the trash and eat. Anybody want a dog? Uh, We can often loathe the repetitive nature of parenting, particularly in a task like changing a diaper, but this can be an opportunity for God to remind you of the truth of your own dependence on him. That baby is dependent on you for everything. Like that kid beside you is dependent on you. That teenager, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, is dependent on you. Let that be a physical, tangible reminder of this spiritual truth that you're dependent on God for everything. Hear this amazing uh, prayer from the book, Every Moment Holy. I, I commend that book to you very much. We read it several times on our elder retreat. About diapering, he says a prayer, Heavenly Father, in such menial moments as this, the changing of a diaper... I would remember this truth. My unseen labors are not for lost. For it is in these repeated acts of a small sacrifice that like bright ragged patches are slowly being sewn into a quilt of loving kindness that swaddles this child. I'm not just changing a diaper. By love and service, I am tending a budding heart that rooted early in such grace-filled devotion might one day be more readily inclined to bow to your compassionate conviction, knowing itself as both a receptacle and reservoir of heavenly grace. Changing diapers is discipleship. Discipleship for, for that baby and for you. So as you perform that repetitive nature of parenting, whatever it may be, if it's changing a diaper or it's in the car line again, or it's disciplining your kid for the 16th time today, remember the grace that parenting can teach us about our loving father who parents us. Whether we're 20 or 80 years old, we still have a father who is parenting us. Surely God was in this parenting moment and I was not aware of it. All right, I don't want to be a too stereotypical preacher, so instead of another D, we're going to switch it up. Um, Our fourth way of living sacramentally is living with the awareness of the presence of God in traffic. Now, you probably know that my family and I moved here from Kansas City this past summer. Kansas City is basically a a nicer version of Memphis, so metro of about two million people. Uh, You can imagine probably some traffic, some traffic jams and things like that, right? Let me be the first to attest to you that traffic in Northeast Arkansas is so much worse than a city of two million people. I, you, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like all of you are terrible drivers. You're either maniacs because you drive too fast or idiots because you drive too slow. I'm the only person on the road who drives the proper speed. Have you ever noticed when you're like, enraged at somebody at the, on the road. And maybe you don't ever get that. So if you don't, whatever. But if you're like me, you can get pretty angry at people on the road. And for some reason, because we have this piece of glass of a windshield between me and you, it changes my perception of you so much. I can treat you like dirt because of the ways you have violated me and my expediency and gotten in my way. I mean, anybody else? 
I'm guilty of that. Connie's guilty of it twice. She put two arms out. <laughs> uh, several months ago, uh, on my way home from work, I stopped by a, a local restaurant, picked up some dinner for our family. I was having a stressful day, thought that, you know, this little treat would, you know, help me, make me feel better about myself. I get home with the food, put it on the table, open it up. Everything is wrong. It's the wrong meal, wrong food. It's got things in there Sarah can't even eat because of an allergy. I was just like, ah, this thing that was supposed to fix me just made me even more angry. So I storm out of the house, go to my car, my face as red as the sun, get in my car, I'm driving back to the restaurant. I come up to a four-way stop where a car is already stopped. I come to a complete stop and that car is still stopped. And I do what any pastor would do. Yo! Do y'all know that the windshield is, it's not my office. It's not a mirror. You could see in to me. So when all four people in the other car mocked me by going, yo! I felt so much guilt. Um... I felt so much shame, so much anger, so much gladness that it was none of you. And then when they pulled into the same restaurant that I was going to, I felt so much fear, (laughs) so much sadness. Anyway, that's, that's our life, right? Tish Warren has this amazing book. It basically is doing exactly what I'm doing in this sermon. She's going through everything, everyday stuff of life. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Uh, I was tempted to just get up here and read the whole book to you, but I, we don't have time for that. Uh, she has this quote about a time where she lost her keys and how frustrating that was. She says, In these moments are an opportunity for formation, for sanctification. Underneath these overreactions and aggravations lie true fears. My lost keys reveal my anxiety that I won't be able to do what I need to do to take care of myself and those around me. They hit on my fear of failure and incompetency. She also had a broken appliance. She said, my broken dishwasher uncovers my worries about money. Will we have enough to fix it? And it exposes my idolatry of the easy, my false hope and comfort and convenience. I just want things to run smoothly. Rather than murdering your neighbor through your windshield and your heart, how can you use your commute time to be a time of communion with God? How can you be thankful for the people in this world rather than frustrated by them? And let me tell you that when you do, and you won't be perfect at it because I am definitely not perfect at it. When you do find yourself in like that, oh, I actually thought to remember to be in the presence of God while I'm driving today. All those things that make you so frustrated get a little bit less frustrating. I will not promise they all go away. Someone may still cut you off in traffic and frustrate the heck out of you, but when you become less self-absorbed and become more God-absorbed, those little things that can ruin your day seem to be less important. So surely God is in this place in my car where I have failed. And I was not aware of it. And I've got so many more options of things to go through. I started writing this all out, and my sermon was getting to the point of about an hour long. And I was like, okay, I can't do that. So I just got one more. Let's talk about the table. 
Our dining table is designed to be a place of fellowship, of bonding together in relationship with those we love. It's also an opportunity to welcome in the widow and the orphan, the marginalized and the refugee, the last, the least, and the lost. Man, even loneliness at a table is a gift because that is a reminder that we are missing a relationship right now. If you sit in that loneliness, you can become self-absorbed and and get into a really dark place. But you can use that lonely feeling and go, man, I was made for relationships. There's even a great prayer from that Every Moment in Holy Book that I referenced earlier about having a meal at a table by yourself. So you can go and read that. But at that table full of family that you love, even in the chaotic meals with toddlers, which is every single meal at the Collier House right now, at that table with guests that you're trying to uh, build a relationship with, at the table when you sit alone, you can eat sacramentally because you can use this physical reminder of an internal spiritual truth that you are made for connection first and foremost with God the Father. You've been around here, if you've been around here very long, you've heard this quote many, many times. You could probably quote it back at me. But Richard Plass says that we are designed for and divine by our relationships. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be relational. So use the table to point to this reality and thank God for your relationships. Pray to him about your relationships that may be broken. Pray to him about your relationship with him. And then maybe you can say, surely God was in this place and I was not aware of it. So why are we so concerned about the sacramental life? Like, what, why does that matter? Why use the mundane aspects of life to remind us of eternal realities of God? Because the relationship that you're most, uh, that, sorry, the relationship that is most important to your entire existence and the one that you could possibly be ignoring every single day is the one with God. The relationship you were ultimately created for is Him. Again, David Benner puts it this way. He says, Learning to become aware of the presence of the Spirit lies right at the heart of growth in Christian spirituality. That's what living sacramentally is. Like this growing awareness of the Spirit's presence in your life. Apart from the Spirit, there is no genuine Christian spiritual growth. Although there is obviously an important place for the more active spiritual disciplines. Spiritual growth begins with the easily overlooked disciplines of attentiveness and surrender. The monk again, Brother Lawrence, he says, he does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present, that he's bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. I'm praying that our our little thoughts that Brother Lawrence is talking about, our little thoughts about God throughout the day and these mundane tasks that we're doing may transform our heart 
May it transform us into a life of living in the presence of God daily. And may that reality transform us from the inside out. And may that reality transform Northeast Arkansas. So I want to invite our, our band back up now. As they come, I want to share one final encouragement for you. We're talking about how to use these physical, visible realities of our life to remind us of internal spiritual realities. But please, please do not miss the very physical, visible way in which God has revealed himself to us in the man, Jesus. To live sacramentally is to live a life in prayer. And throughout the Bible, God shows up and people miss it. Supremely so when he came in flesh and died. So my exhortation to us is like, be on the lookout for God daily. But my exhortation right now is do not miss that Jesus is the only way to be redeemed back into a life uh, in the goodness of God's presence. So every single week, we celebrate this sacrament of communion. And our servers can come up now too. Um, communion is a physical reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It's this tangible reminder of an internal reality that we needed saving. His body broken for you. His blood shed for you. He loves you. He wants to be present with you. And so if you're a Christian in the room, I would invite you to come and partake in communion. Celebrate his life, death, and resurrection. And, and ask him, as you're coming to take communion, would you be present in this moment? Would you be present in the moments that follow? Spirit, we need your presence. If you're not a believer, if, that, if that's not the central reality of your life, if, if you don't understand what's going on here, I would invite you not to come and partake in this. This won't help you. I'd invite you to pray. Pray to God. we got so many members in this room that would love to pray with you, but if you don't know any of them, come find me. Come find Jared or Adam or Robert. There's several people in here who would love to come and pray with you, pray for you. And maybe, maybe today can be the day that you experience the presence of God in a salvific way for the very first time. Man, I would hope that would be true. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence. Help us to be absorbed by you in your presence. Forgive us for being self-absorbed. We have not loved you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Rather, we have loved ourselves with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Forgive us. Forgive us. And for the sake of your son, Jesus, have mercy on our souls. Would your, the presence of your spirit be an everyday reality for the people in this room? Spirit of God, would you convict us of being self-absorbed and comfort us with the fact that being God-absorbed means being in the presence of a loving, steadfast, forgiving Father who pursued us when we ignored you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.